back to another episode of A Chat About History. Today I'm going to be looking at the American Civil Rights Movement and I've formulated the question, how non-violent was Martin Luther King's Civil Rights Movement really? So it's looking into the American Civil Rights Movement, specifically that under Martin Luther King, and the tension between the fact that the protests were non-violent, but my view that they were actually complete uh, reliant massively upon violence, and how those two elements are in tension. So firstly, just a quick bit of background on the American Civil Rights Movement. I'm going to be looking at the period from 1956, starting with the Montgomery bus boycott, all the way through until 1965 and Selma predominantly, and a little bit into the immediate aftermath and the rise in black power following Martin Luther King's assassination in 68 and also following the Selma March in 65. Uh, so yeah, I'm specifically looking at Martin Luther King and then his involvement obviously with the SCLC, Southern Christian League Council, which was formed in 1957, rather than the uh, influences specifically of Malcolm X and black power, which is more regularly um, perceived as the, the violent aspect of civil rights movements in America. But um, non-violent means were the primary aim and the, the rhetoric of uh, Martin Luther King's civil rights movement and that focused on protests, boycotts, marches, and um, sit-ins as well, although that was primarily done by the SNCC, which was the student-focused uh, uh, civil rights movement, which was contemporary with King's SCLC. So firstly, I want to get into this, this innate reliance upon violence that I mentioned at the introduction. And it's, it's I kind of see it as King indirectly generating violence and that is what he relied on to create the outrage which then forced through the legislation that he was trying to generate in order to improve the quality of life for African Americans in America. So what the, the key example of this kind of violence upon which King relied is the Birmingham demonstrations in April and May 1963 with the aim to desegregate uh, Alabama, and King chose Birmingham uh, in part because of the police chief Bull Connor, who was renowned for being a uh, particularly particularly violent, as we'll see, uh, and because he demonstrates in the Birmingham demonstrations. So King marched uh, into Birmingham, and the SCLC protests, and non-violent protests, just marching through the streets. However, they were reliant on the fact that Bull Connor would release police dogs, fire hoses, and attack them with police truncheons. And uh, pregnant women and children were still marching with King and his um, and the SCLC in the protest. Uh, but obviously, the more abhorrent the violence, the 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 worse it is for the protesters, as they're obviously victims of this abhorrent violence. But also, the more national sympathy is generated through this the mass media coverage King was getting. So really, you know, as is as is evident even today, the more outrageous something is, the better media coverage it gets and the more that causes outrage in the readers of the media coverage. So in some senses, the aim was to cause outrage. And obviously, 
nothing is more outrageous than watching children and pregnant women being fire-hosed at the level that uh, can actually peel bark off trees and separate bricks and mortar, because it is such powerful, uh, such a powerful fire-hose setting. So this, this obviously generated national sympathy through the mass media coverage, and um, in you know and this was 1963, they aimed to desegregate Alabama, and the Civil Rights Act in 1964 achieved that, but underpinning this peaceful protest of marching through the streets of Birmingham is the reliance on the fact that actually it is effective because of the violence that it will incite. And we'll see later when this violence wasn't incited, King's campaigns actually weren't that effective. But uh, another key example of this reliance on violence uh, is the Selma demonstrations in March 1965. After the civil rights movement, this time campaigning for voting rights in Alabama, as um, 23 out of 29,000 African Americans in Selma were registered to vote, which is obviously a, a minute fraction of the African American population, which was about half of Selma. Um, and I'd, I'd really recommend the film Selma, actually, which is available on Netflix. Uh, it focuses on the Selma demonstration. It's, it's, it's I really like it as a film, and I think it's really insightful. It has a particularly good scene, actually, a powerful scene, I should say, on the murder of Jimmy Lee Jackson, who was a young African-American in Selma, who was uh, shot by police whilst shielding his mother. And King King was aware of this happening, and also other you know atrocious acts such as venomous snakes being thrown at African-Americans who were trying to register to vote. But for some reason, these the both of these instances didn't generate the coverage the coverage uh, in terms of media coverage that was required to to generate the mass support and levels of outrage which would force Lyndon Baines Johnson to pass the Voting Rights Act, which King was pushing for. So uh, King, or more accurately his supporters, uh, as King went up to Washington, organised a march from Selma to Montgomery, uh, which has been known now, this was the first march, as a Bloody Sunday, which was the 7th of March 1965 due to the abhorrent violence which was perpetrated upon the marchers by the police. So there are about 600 marchers, and in this case Major John Cloud, who is the Selma equivalent of Police Chief Bull Connor in Birmingham, uh, brutally attacked these 600 marchers as they refused to disperse after just trying to cross a bridge and march from uh, Selma up to Montgomery, and this violence was 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 brutal. Seventeen were hospitalised, and uh, Linda Blackman Lowry, who was only fourteen, uh, was brutally beaten by a police officer. Uh, and this was watched by seventy million people on TV, showing the extent of the coverage that Selma, uh, that the Selma demonstrations received. Um, and obviously this is the same in, as the Birmingham, Birmingham demonstrations in that the success that was generated from both of these civil rights protests was reliant on the fact that the protests would cause outrage and result in violent action, violent action in which the African-American protesters were the victims. Uh, and it was also reliant on mass media, which wasn't yet available. Uh, so in 1951, 12% of the US uh, population owned TVs, 
However, this was 90% in 1963 and 95% by 1968, showing how technology facilitated the mass media coverage King relied upon to broadcast this outrage. But there's also a quote um, that was in The Race Beat, which uh, was a Pulitzer Prize winning book. Uh, and it's a quote that, from Martin Luther King himself that says, the world doesn't know this happened because you didn't photograph it. Which is King talking to a photographer uh, at the Selma demonstrations after not taking photos because instead of taking photos, he was helping protesters. Which I think that, you know, the quote can sound slightly sinister almost that you shouldn't be helping, we, the photos matter more. But actually this kind of logic of the protesters being to some extent not sacrificed, but their well-being was being put in jeopardy in order for this uh, greater good of forcing through or generating support for the legislation that was required to improve the lives of the millions and millions of African-Americans living in America. But ultimately, you know, the, the innate, there is an innate reliance on violence using this campaigning technique. But I mean, King didn't only rely on violence. He, there are examples of successes he achieved without, without violence, specifically the Montgomery bus boycott, in 1955 to 1956, December, um, which was truly non-violent, and uh, sorry, buses in Alabama were boycotted, and 20,000 to 40,000 people boycotting were involved in a carpool, and it was, it was, uh, it economically ruined the bus industry in Montgomery to the point where, eventually, the Supreme Court ruled the bus laws were unconstitutional, uh, and it showed African American unity, and that there were no direct victims here of any any violence, but uh, it also didn't generate the mass media coverage we see later. And it was quite a localised localized legislation in that this this legislation was only relevant for um for Alabama. Uh, and it and the the bus boycott was uh was carried out well it spread to over Alabama, but the it, it only applied to buses, to the segregation laws rather than other areas of society. Uh, and obviously King's most famous moment is his speech, I Have a Dream speech, uh, which uh, took part in the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom in 63. But actually this wasn't really purely King's work. It was um, it was obviously King and the SCLC were involved, as was Randolph and some of the trade unions, as well as the NAACP and other civil rights groups. Um, and this was watched by tens of millions, so it did generate the mass media support um, and a quarter of a million demonstrators there, but this was kind of an unprecedented example of unity between all these, all of the African American uh, civil rights campaigners, which wasn't really seen anywhere else. So in that sense, it was unique in generating in generating this level of support without this level of coverage without violence, but also unique in the cooperation that was involved within the march. So. You know, alternatively to this success without violence, we see that King actually really struggled to enact legislative success when violence wasn't being perpetrated. So the, the, the primary example of this is the Albany, Albany movement that King led in October 1961, which was the, the aim was to end segregation. This was obviously prior to the Birmingham demonstrations and Selma, where the police chief Laurie Pritchett, uh, enacted mass arrests upon protesters, but didn't uh, perpetrate any any brutal punishments. 
So we're still enforcing the very much unjust and unfair legislation that was in the South, but he wasn't doing it brutally. And this isn't that Laurie Pritchett was particularly moral and he didn't want to hurt the protesters, but it's more likely that it was just that he didn't want to generate the publicity that Bull Connor and it was generated in Birmingham and that uh, Major John Cloud generated in the Selma demonstrations. So unlike in both those cases, this violence wasn't being perpetrated against King and his supporters. And there were actually very limited gains from the Albany movement, which has kind of been forgotten and wiped from King's legacy due to its ineffectiveness. And the, the main difference we hear here is, is, is the, the tactics used by the police chiefs and then the media coverage that was uh, that followed this the, the lack of violence or there was the lack of media coverage that followed the lack of violence or the intense media coverage that followed the intense and abhorrent violence. So we see King's tactics really were reliant on the racism of a few to incite the violence, which would lead to the sympathy of the majority and therefore the legislative progress seen in the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65, which, although obviously the protests were conducted with the rhetoric of non-violence, the success of these protests was reliant on inciting violence, not inciting violence in the way we'll see with the Black Panthers or Black Power movements, but inciting violence against King and his followers, and almost indirectly generating the violence. Uh, so, again, we'll see in this immediate aftermath of King, you get the Black Militancy Movement, um, involving Malcolm X, but predominantly the, the Black Panthers, formed in 1966 by Huey Newton and Bobby Seale. And specifically after Selma, there's a, uh, quite a turn from young African Americans towards the Black Panthers, which was significantly more active. I mean, I think King's methods were active, not passive, but the, the, the activity of militancy was uh, quite a contradiction to the perceived passivity of admitting them, admit, of the protesters admitting to the fact that they were going to be beaten up and brutalised for the progress they would make. However, the the Black Panther movement really doesn't, it, they, they have some successes, but it doesn't generate anywhere near the same success that the Civil Rights Movement did under King. And, you know, in 1969 alone, 27 Black Panthers are shot dead, 750 are arrested. White support is very much isolated and reduces following this rise in black militancy. And uh, the Black Panthers pretty much end in 1972 and fizzle out with, with, with the minimal gains. But it's kind of a, it, I'd see it very much as a reaction to, uh, to the violence perpetrated against African Americans in their protests uh, with an attempt to, you know, it's, it's very much a lashback, knee-jerk reaction against that of actually, you know, we aren't here to be beaten up. Although that was very successful in under King to generate generate the legislation, it was a it was reverse a reverse of that trying to generate activity and violence to contradict what the Black Panthers might have perceived as the, the passive, more passive response of King, which I think was actually very much an active response of actively putting themselves in harm's way to be, you know, abhorrently treated, which is very very brave from all the protesters there to then generate the the legislative success that that they required so i think the you know the questions this leads on for me at least is what well, was the non-violence was it rational was it was it moral to put children and pregnant women in in the way of the the police to generate this support 
So whether it was rational, I think it was a rational choice, yes. As, you know, we see King's, King's non-violence protest did achieve legislation, uh, you know, to an unprecedented extent, extent not really seen before in America in the, any of the previous civil rights leaders. So in that sense, it was it was rational and it was successful. But actually, many would argue that uh, whether something is rational and successful really requires on whether it's whether it's moral, as in if something is surely it would be irrational if it generated harm to people, which would be also seen as immoral. And is it successful if actually it's harming your own people? So this is a question really of does do the ends justify the means? Does the did the legislative success seen in the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act justify the fact that pregnant women and children were were beaten and fire hosed and you know young men were killed as Jimmy Lee Jackson was so that's you know, very much a, a a moral dilemma underpinning king's king's actions and, and you know in this this kind of innate contradiction between violence and non-violence and the the rhetoric of loving your enemies and the legacy of peaceful protests king has given compared to the fact that actually the the non-violence relied upon becoming the victims of abhorrent violence, and that was what generated the change uh, in the civil rights movement. So I guess we've got to wrap this up and go back to my original question of uh, how non-violent was Martin Luther King's civil rights movement really? And um, it, I think it's, it's very much fair to say his movement was... Uh, had a rhetoric of non-violence and a rhetoric of loving your neighbour and it has the legacy of peaceful protests and it was it was a, a a supposed peaceful protest but actually underpinning this non-violent protest was a reliance on violence and a reliance on violence being perpetrated against the protesters to cause the outrage and generate the support that King needed and you know the King the King needed for his methods to to um to work and to advance the legislation and actually it is it was an unprecedented level of legislative success so whilst i'm sure many advocates for black militancy and black power would say the suffering uh of those protesters and the suffering that was endured wasn't necessary and actually you know the, the belief of the black panthers was you know we don't need to be beaten up we we can go and actively achieve this or we can we can fight them on equal terms rather than agreeing to be victims to the violence. Um, however, the the greatest legislative success achieved was under was under King and his methods. So in that sense, it is unprecedented in the American Civil Rights Movement to have achieved this level of success. Uh, so I hope today we've kind of explored that that innate tension between violence and non-violence and the different aspect of a different aspect of looking at King's campaign, which was ultimately you know, very successful in achieving legislative success and Dr. Martin Luther King has a very, very good legacy, a favourable legacy in America, having national holidays. Um, but I hope today we've explored that contradiction, that tension between the non-violence and uh, its, its innate reliance on violence. Uh, I hope you enjoyed and uh, please leave any feedback and thank you for listening.